Our scripture for this morning, Genesis 20, it can be found on page 3 in your bulletins. And today is uh, Children's Sunday, so we have all of Liberty Kids joining us here. So after we read uh, the passage and sing the doxology together, I'll invite all all the children up here uh, who are normally downstairs, those in pre-K and those in elementary, all the way up to about uh, third grade. But if you're older than that, yeah, feel free to uh, come to the front as well. Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. The men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Save me. He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And at this time, uh, again, I'd like to invite all of our uh, pre-K students and all of our elementary students up till third grade. And uh, if you're older than that, again, you're more than welcome to join me here in the front for our uh, children's portion of the sermon. All right, good to see you guys. All right, who here, I know that's many of you here, but by a show of hands here, who has a brother or a sister? All of you guys? Wow, all of you guys. Okay, oh, all right. 
Now, uh, uh, I actually have an older sister. She's three years older than me. Who here is the oldest of the siblings? Are you the oldest? You raise your hands. Okay. All right. Who's the youngest here? Okay. All right. Me too. I'm the youngest. All right. Okay. Now, let me ask you a question. If your sibling, your brother or your sister is old enough for you to play with, I hope you, you play with your siblings uh, what are some of the games that you guys play? What are some of the things that you play at home? Yeah. Tag. Okay, yeah, tag's a lot of fun. Uh, you need a lot of room for tag. What are some, some other games you might play with your siblings? Soccer. Soccer. Okay, yeah, you need more than one person to play soccer. It's a good game, good choice. Charlie? You just wrestle with them? Okay, all right. Hopefully you, you know, let them win. I know you have two sisters. I'm sorry? Friendly wrestling, okay, yeah, friendly wrestling with, with a smile. Yeah, how about, how about here? What, what do you play with your... Master what? Mastermind. Ooh, okay, that sounds fun. It's a board game. Wow, I like board games. That sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, one more. Maybe right here. Hide and go seek. Okay, all right. Well, I, you know, for me and my sister growing up, uh, we played sometimes. We, we didn't get along all that well, but, you know, sometimes siblings fight. Uh, me, and my sibling, me and my sister, uh, we actually didn't have cable TV growing up either, right? So we actually had to play a lot of games to keep ourselves entertained. And a lot of times we actually just played pretend, right? We played make-believe. We like to pretend that we were uh, teachers at a school or that we, you know, worked at McDonald's and, you know, we would make French fries and and hamburgers for, for our parents. I want to, do you guys ever play pretend with your, with your siblings? Is anyone here? Yeah, have you, have you? Okay, you do? What are some of the things that you pretend to be when you play pretend? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, cops and robbers, right? Hopefully you take turns. Okay, yeah, cops and robbers. One person's a cop, others oh, a robber, right? How about you? Yeah, what do you, what do you guys play? Princesses, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, how about over here? What do you what do you like to pretend to play? Huh? Baby wolves? Oh wow, okay. That's good. All right. That's that's a good choice. Good choice, right? Playing pretend okay, one more, one more. How about the Norris? So usually only force me to play stuff with them and I don't like it, so I pretend that I'm not playing. Oh okay, so you you pretend that you're not playing when you're pretending to play a game. Okay, pretending Within the pretend game. That's very deep. Like, it's very deep. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it's fun to play pretend, right? And actually, the story that we just read in chapter 20, there's a man, right? He's not a child, right? He's not little like you. He's older than me, older than your parents. Him and his wife, they actually play this, uh, they actually play a little, little game of pretend themselves, right? And, and we might look at that in here and say, well, that's, that's weird, right? Why are people older than maybe my grandparents? Um, you know, I, I'll get you afterwards, okay? All right, thank you. Um, you know, why, why are these older folks, right? Why are they playing pretend, right? It's very, very weird, very odd. And uh, they were actually pretending because Abraham and Sarah, these people who were playing pretend, they were actually really, really afraid, Right? They were in a new land that uh, they didn't know anyone. And Abraham actually thought that 
he might die if they didn't play pretend. And as you go through the whole story, there's actually a lot of people here in this story other than Abraham and Sarah who are afraid. There's a king who's afraid because, you know, Abraham and Sarah are playing pretend. All the people are afraid. But there's actually one person in this story who is not afraid. We actually see God in this story as the only person who isn't scared. And for us this morning, uh, you probably are scared of a whole lot of things, right? I actually have a lot of fears myself. You know, I get here sometimes early in the morning on Sundays, and it's really dark, and I'm the only one here. And I have to walk around with a flashlight because I'm a little scared myself. <laughs> what are some of the things that you guys might be scared of? What are some of the things that scare or frighten you? What are you scared of? Storms, yeah, storms are scary. Yeah, how about you? What scares you something? Spiders, yeah, right? They got too many legs, right? It's weird why they have so many legs. Right, so many eyes, that can be scary. Yeah, how about here? Clowns, yeah, okay, why do they have makeup on, right? That's weird, why can't we see their faces, right? Yeah, that's scary, yeah. The dark, yeah, me too, me too, it's all right, you know, okay. Um, okay, and one more, what are you scared of? Shadows, yeah, shadows are scary. They can be bigger than us, right? And uh, they, they make darkness, right? Darkness can always be scary, but what we see here in the story in Genesis 20, that even if all of us are afraid of something, even if the whole world is scared, God is never afraid. And God is always with us. And we can have faith and we can actually really be happy that God is never afraid of anything. Not spiders, not storms, not the dark or anything else. And for us... For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we have all the faith that God is always going to be with us. And I need, I need a few, uh, I need three volunteers for this next thing. And you have to be okay with, with holding hands. Okay, that's, that's one right here. How about two right here and then three right here. Okay. Now, can you just stand over here for me? Okay. And uh, why don't you guys just hold hands together? Great. Now... The reason why we never have to be afraid and knowing that God is always with us is because of Jesus. Now, if Eloise here is, represents me and all of us, right, and uh, represents God, and rep, right, right here, actually Jesus is in the middle holding our hands, holding our hands and connecting us to God so that wherever we go, we always know that we're with God and that we don't have to be afraid either, okay? All right, thanks so much, guys. You guys can go back to your seats and with your adults. All right, or you can just hang out here too, you know. It's, that's cool too. All right. Very good, very good, okay. All right, now for the rest of us, as we uh, jump back into our series in Genesis, we're uh, coming here in chapter 20, uh, following the events, very dramatic events of chapter 19, right, where uh, God destroys the city of Sodom, and uh, we see this very unfortunate event that uh, happens between Lot and his daughters. Chapter 20, we uh, come right back to Abraham's narrative 
who the narrative tells us journeys towards the territory of the Negev and sojourns in Gerar. And as he uh, spends time here in Gerar, uh, both he and Sarah tell everyone, right, they play this game of pretend that they are not husband and wife, but in fact, they say that, well, this is Sarah, my uh, sister. And uh, as we were reading this, chapter 20, you may have been sitting there thinking, well, uh, this sounds oddly familiar. And uh, if you think back, and if you're thinking about this, you're right, because in late March, we actually looked at chapter 12, where Abraham, after being called by God to uh, leave his home uh, to the land that was promised to him, and all these great promises that the Lord gives to him in chapter 12, uh, Abraham, called Abram at that time, he didn't receive his new name, Abram and Sarai, uh, his wife came to the country of Egypt and sojourned there in chapter 12. And uh, there we, we looked at how Abraham comes up with this plan Uh, to present Sarah and pass her off as not his wife, but instead his sister. We saw that uh, this lie actually gets them into uh, quite a bit of trouble with Pharaoh, right? As the Pharaoh takes Sarah into his own house, assuming that, you know, this is an unmarried woman, and brings her into his house, which results in God afflicting uh, Pharaoh and his entire house and kingdom with uh, great plagues. So as we come to Genesis 20, uh, where so much has happened since chapter 12, we see Abraham playing the same game, right? Telling this same lie, and we see uh, the reasons for Abraham's lie in verse 11 as Abimelech confronts him. Uh, What does he say? He says, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. When we look back at chapter 12, it gives us a little more detail into Abraham's fear as why he might uh, be killed, right? And as they enter into Egypt uh, eight chapters ago, Abraham tells Sarah, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when we think about Abraham's time in Egypt and this fear that he has, we we actually recognize that this is not a a totally irrational fear uh, that Abraham has, as uh, it was not uncommon in pagan societies where uh, men would actually go, you know, mysteriously disappearing in the night, never to be seen again. And a king or someone in in power would then come along and saying, hey, uh, where's your husband? Uh, oh, you know, you're all alone. You don't know where your husband is. Well, what, what a great coincidence that is. Why don't you, you know, come over to my house and I'll, I'll take care of you from now on. Unfortunately, we see this even in the life of King David as he arranges Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to be killed on the battlefield in order that he could take Bathsheba as his own. And so when we consider Abraham's situation in Egypt and compare it with here in chapter 20 in Gerar, we might look back at chapter 12 and might say, well, you know, it's, it's almost understandable. It's almost reasonable that, you know, Abraham had to lie, right? It was only just a few verses earlier in chapter 12 where God calls him to leave the land that he knew, was given a promise. And so, you know, what, what did Abraham really know about God at that time, right? 
What did he really know about God and his promises and his uh, steadfast love and his character? So we might, you know, have some sympathy for the man in chapter 12 saying, well, okay, you know, you shouldn't have lied, but, you know, we, we get it. You didn't really know what God was all about. But what has happened since chapter 12 till now? Chapter 14, Lot is taken captive in the war of kings, and under God's protection, Abraham is, Abraham is actually able to rescue Lot. Chapter 15, God actually enters a formal covenant with Abraham, and what does he tell him? Fear not, I am your shield. In chapter 17 and 18, we have the Lord actually coming and appearing to Abraham reaffirming this promise that they would have a son, the one from whom God would establish an everlasting covenant with. And despite all of this, despite all that Abraham and Sarah have seen, here we see Abraham giving in to his fear of man, reflecting his utter lack of faith in God. And the more we think about what's going on in chapter 20 and reflect on the number of years that have passed, we recognize that Abraham's fear at this point is a bit irrational. And this situation may have been, you know, totally avoidable and was the result of Abraham's own sin. Genesis 12, how is Sarah described as a beautiful woman? Chapter 20, that fact is left out, right? It's kind of a mean omission, right? But we recognize that Sarah is 89 years old at this point possibly older, post-menopausal, as we have already seen. And I figure if, you know, if there was an ancient Near East king uh, going around in his kingdom, trying to, you know, looking to take women for himself, you, you would think that, you know, if you were an 89-year-old woman at the time, you wouldn't be breaking a sweat going, oh my goodness, you know, I could be next. It could be me. You know, I, I better hide myself, right? No, they would just, you know, see that the king is looking for someone and saying, no, I'm safe and just... I don't know, keep doing what 90-year-old woman might do. My, my grandmother's 91. She just trades fruit with her friends in her apartment. So, you know, maybe that's what you, they would continue to do. And, you know, worry-free, right? It's, it's not, you know, not even an issue at this point. But believing that Sarah is Abraham's sister, Abraham's sister, Abimelech takes Sarah not because she was beautiful, but recognizing that this was a single woman and seeing that Abraham was rich and most likely wanted some kind of political alliance with Abraham, some kind of suction with him, this all could have been avoided if Abraham did not lie and give in to his fears. To make matters even worse, we remember that God's promise to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18 was that by this time next year, you will have a son. And so it's not totally unbelievable to think that maybe at this point Sarah was already pregnant. God may have already fulfilled that promise. And here Abraham is giving into his fears, jeopardizing all of this because of his fear of man. And even to the very end we see Abraham's sin. Even when he's caught and he's called out by Abimelech, he asks, why did you do such a thing Abraham says, well, you know, technically, you know, we're really being technical here. She really is uh, my half-sister, uh, you, know, you know, maybe not my full sister. And so, you know, really, I, I didn't lie, right? It's just you know, semantics, right? What's going on? Right? It's like if you, 
you know, you, with your children, you, you bake cookies and, um, you know, your 90-year-old your grandmother's coming for dinner the next day and uh, you tell your children, you said, uh, don't, don't, eat, don't eat any of these cookies. You know, we've made a, a very specific amount of these cookies, uh, so we're saving them for dinner tomorrow. Please do not eat any of them. You know, time goes by and you see that uh, some cookies are missing. You go to your children and you say, did you, did you eat the cookies? Did you eat a cookie? And your kid says, no. And they've got crumbs on their face and, and a milk mustache or something. And, and you say, well, look at your face. You have crumbs on your face. You, you know, it's very clear that you ate a cookie. Why did you lie and say you didn't eat a cookie? And your child says, well, you only asked if I had one cookie. I had four. <laughs> right? it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, that's not the point, right? Here's, you, you still lied, right? And so like a child, Abraham seeks to hide his sin even when confronted. As we consider Abraham's life, we look at Genesis 12 and 20, and we see Abraham's sin and his utter lack of faith we actually see a, a picture of the Christian life. And no matter where we are in our faith journey, whether we are a new Christian who has just been called out of darkness by our Savior Jesus Christ, whether we have been journeying with our Savior for years, we see that in this life, the sad reality is that we will continue to fight against the temptations of sin. And at time, fighting against the same patterns of sin, against all logic. People look at it and say, why are you continuing to struggle with this? You have no reason to. And yet, at times, we fall again and again in these patterns of sin. We see this not only in the life of Abraham, but throughout the whole of Scripture, we see that the Bible is actually not afraid to spare the messy details of the lives of those that we consider heroes in the faith. Not just their high points, but also their lowest failures. We'll see this as we continue on in Genesis through the life of Isaac, Jacob, and even his sons, the patriarchs of the people of Israel. We'll see this in the kings of David, Solomon, and even in the prophets, and even throughout the New Testament as, we, as, you, as you see the failures of Jesus' own disciples. And this is true again for Abraham, the one Paul and the author of Hebrews presents as the example of faith. Genesis 20 not only does well to show us uh, the gritty reality of the Christian life where we continually fight against patterns of sin, but it also demonstrates for us the very real consequences that our sin has on those around us, whether we recognize it or not. Well, yes, it is true that we confess our sins before God and we must recognize that all transgressions, all wrongdoings against God's word are committed first and foremost against God. At the very same time, we also have to recognize that none of our sins are committed in a vacuum. It is not as though our sins, even those committed in private in our hearts, do not affect those around us. This is made clear in Abimelech's exchange as he confronts Abraham. Verse 9, what does he say? He doesn't say, what is this terrible thing that you have done? 
But he says, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done things to me that ought not to have been done. We see here that Abraham's sin not only affected himself and his standing before the Lord, but those around him, unsuspecting, innocent parties. And to make matters even worse, he actually, we actually see that he mentions that Sarah herself said, he is my brother. You see, Abraham's sin implicating others. And while it may not have been very clear to Abraham when he was conspiring with his wife to lie, we are able to see that his sin was not done in isolation. Through it, he brings his wife into sin, causing her to lie, which in turn unknowingly has effects on a king and his kingdom, Abimelech and all those under his rule. They most likely didn't come together and think that their lie could have resulted in the destruction of a nation, but this is almost what happens. And for us also, as we experience the deep brokenness of this world and and commit sins in both what we do and commit in our hearts, we need to recognize that sins also have an effect on those around us. We should never be in a place to say to ourselves that our sin is no big deal because it's just between me and my God. We should never think that our sins rarely have consequences on other people. As we recognize the cosmic, vertical dimension of our sins against God, we also need to very much keep in mind, secondarily, the horizontal effects that our selfishness, our pride, our anger, our lust, all of these have a real profound effect on those around us, our spouse, our children, what we pass down to them, our friends, and the witness that we have with non-believers in this world. Not only physical consequences, but also spiritual consequences as we may lead others into sin. Genesis 20 stands as a sober reminder of the reality of what sin is and the far-reaching effects that it has. As we think through all of this and reflect on Abraham's pattern of sin in his life that actually serve as a nice foil for our own lives and even the widespread effect sin has, it may sound very discouraging, right? That our holiness, our, our sanctification may never be perfected in this life. And as we struggle, we will have a negative impact on those around us, even our loved ones. But as we continue on in this story, we not only presented with the reality of the Christian life in this way, but we're also able to see God's great and incredible grace mercy and salvation that he offers to his people. Looking at verse 6, as God responds to Abimelech's defense, God fills in what Abimelech could not see. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So we see that while Abraham's sin could have forfeited all that God had promised him, we see that God's promise to Abraham was not dependent on his ability to not lie, to not sin, but instead, as the Lord demonstrated so beautifully in chapter 15, the fulfillment of this promise was grounded and guaranteed by God's own character, his faithfulness and love. 
And so despite Abraham's sin, which was not a one-time thing, clearly a pattern of sin that he continually fell into as a result of his lack of faith and fear of man, the Lord does not exclude Abraham from his promises or his plans. Instead, notice what God calls Abraham. This is astounding. For the very first time in the Old Testament, this word prophet is used, and it's in reference to this sinner, Abraham. One of Abraham's lowest points, God refers to him as a prophet. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. In consideration of all that we've seen, this, this might seem quite odd, right? Because even if we, we take a step back and look at Abimelech, king of Gerar, we, we actually see, uh, and I can fill in for us, that he is a Philistine. And if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, even a brief survey of some of the more popular stories of David and Goliath, we, we know that the Philistines are, are never the good guys, right? They're never the heroes of the stories, right? If we think back to uh, Stephen's sermon, right, who are the good guys and the bad guys, I'm sure if we took an all, a poll here and asked, you know, are the Philistines the good guys or the bad guys? You don't even know chapter and verse, but you can easily say bad guys, the villains, in fact, the champion of the Philistines in 1 Samuel 17, Goliath, is, is represented as the devil himself, right? Described with armors of scale like a snake, right? Seen in Genesis 3. And yet here we see Abimelech's integrity highlighted in contrast to Abraham's sin. While Abraham continues in his lie and even when confronted doubles down on his lie trying to justify himself with clever word pray and distance himself saying, well then the Lord had caused me to leave. You know, very reminiscent of what happens in the garden when, when Adam is confronted. In stark contrast, we see Abimelech's innocence that even the Lord himself agrees with. Lord, will you kill an innocent people? In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And even the fact that God is speaking with Abimelech and not Abraham here, right? Why is, why is Abraham designated as the prophet? I believe that Moses, the author of Hebrews, author of Genesis, writes in this way and gives us this story and contrasts Abimelech with Moses, it serves to really drive home this point, to reiterate this idea that Abraham's just and righteous standing before the Lord, his righteousness could not have come from himself. How could it? When in this chapter alone we see that his motives are riddled with selfishness and total disregard for God and his promises for his life. So while not explicitly stated, it is safe to assume that actually Abraham had to pray for himself before he prayed for Abimelech. Even this might seem confusing to us that Abraham is serving as the mediator for Abimelech and God when Abraham was the one who caused this mess in the first place. But this confusing reality actually continues throughout the entire Old Testament that through the priests... There is no prophet, no priest who is able to stand as a perfect mediator between a sinful man and a holy God. Even the high priest had to pray for himself before he had to pray for the people. We have to wait until Jesus Christ, 
who came not merely as a man, but also as God incarnate, the very Son of God coming to this world and the form of a man, the only perfect mediator who could provide salvation for you and for me to give us his righteousness that becomes our own. And even in the little example that I use with the children, that applies to us as adults that Christ's righteousness is given to us through faith and is because of this faith that Abraham also was considered righteous. He believed and it was counted to him as righteous because Abraham has faith in the promised one to come, the one whom God would establish an everlasting covenant with, the great media of Christ for this reason and this reason alone. God does not exclude Abraham from his promises. God does not discard Abraham. And for this reason, God doesn't give up on us. For this reason, God doesn't discard us, despite the many patterns of sin that we fall into. Every single day, ones we commit outside of our body and in our hearts that affect those we love, those closest to us, and even those that we don't even know. God continues to cling to us because of Christ and because of this Jesus who through faith now gives us his righteousness and we stand before God counted as his children. And through this, we rejoice. Though our holiness is imperfect in this life until Christ returns despite our struggle with these many patterns of sin, the same sins, and even as we mourn the real effects that our sins have in this world, we never do so without the great hope and confidence that Jesus Christ has truly saved us and there's nothing that can separate us from God's great love for us. Amen.